Thursday, 29th of April, and I've just finished editing the audio on this podcast with Yas, which is a very, very good listen. I promise you, it's it's really good. Yas was my tutor um, over the last well, last few years really, um, and he's really smart and he's really engaging and he's fantastic. Minor issues, I suppose, with the sound. My audio was horrendous, so I've had to really, really try and make it bearable. Um, and you can hear Yas's kid in the background um, for a bit of this as well. But I, I implore you to stick with it because um, it's worth it. Yas, thank you so much for your time. A real, real pleasure to have you on. You know, it's an interesting time. I mean, uh, certainly grateful for the opportunity, obviously, to kind of get in and, and work in that sort of environment to start with. You know, it was a, it was an opportunity for me to kind of go in, find my feet a little bit in in terms of the you know the quote unquote elite elite uh, youth performance setting. Um, I think at the time going in at a club like Barnet is uh, a London-based club, but very small London-based club. You know, they've got a great platform in terms of I guess catchment. Uh, players that they can attract because you know a lot of the players that they end up picking up are players who have maybe potentially been released from the bigger academies so you are generally working with some decent players to be fair but you know given the size of the club and the, you know the league that they're playing in at the time uh, so coming in at that, that point was obviously an opportunity for me to kind of get my foot in the door and I guess within the academy football to start with and then I think the good thing about Barnet because it is such a small club and you know the, the budget is tight and whatnot you're kind of forced as a coach to think about different ways in how you can impact the players, which you might not necessarily have to be, you know, you might not necessarily be under the same pressures and constraints if you were working at a bigger club with a bigger budget. I started off as a part-time coach in the academy, working there, you know, a couple of sessions a week. Um, and soon after that, you know, I kind of uh, took on a bigger role, which, you know, saw me working right across the age groups, both with um, goalkeepers and outfield players, uh, predominantly goalkeepers at the time. And you know there'll be times where you go on, you know, you get a full size pitch, but it's, you got you know you got to train on that pitch with six different groups. So really and truly, you got like a quarter of a pitch or even a, a sixth of a pitch at times, and you probably got like twenty players in there. You know, you think to yourself, well, you know, if you're working in an academy or in a professional setting, that you probably won't have to do all that sort of stuff. But you know, it is a reality. You know, it's, although it is a professional club, and you still have some of the same constraints as some of the grassroots clubs may have in terms of limited space and. You know, facilities is always an issue as well. And then you've got the issue of, you know, lack of equipment. I mean, I think overall my time at Point was, a, you know, a very uh, positive experience in the sense that, I, you know, I, I took a lot away from it. I think certainly for me, the biggest things were integrating well with the, you know, the, the other departments within the club. So for instance, sports science teams, you know, the strength and conditioning uh, staff and the analysis staff uh, really challenged me in different ways in terms of, right, how can we use all these different experts, so to speak, uh, to kind of put together a better product for the players in front of us. I'm fortunate to say that, you know, at, during my time there, I wasn't just limited to working with the younger age groups. The majority of my time I was working with the under-18s as well. And, it, you know, when working with them during the day, there's not really anyone else in the building. And you, know, you can kind of have a bit more free reign in terms of what space you want to use. But, you know, it was a, it was a great, uh, I guess, learning curve for me in terms of how to kind of adapt to sessions over smaller and bigger areas when still trying to work on the similar, I guess, topics and themes and, you know, key coaching areas in terms of, you know, I guess the focus of the session, if that makes sense. Um, so I think you know it's it was it was it was a great it was a great learning event. But you know, essentially towards the back end of my time there, spent about a couple of years there. Um, I felt that I probably got as much as I could out of the environment, um, and I was ready for a kind of a change. And 
uh, I guess the direction I wanted to go wasn't necessarily uh, there wasn't necessarily an opportunity at the club for me to do that. So I kind of just you know waited around a little bit before I moved on. You know when I went in there initially, applied for an outfield coaching role. I'd gone in there with the idea that I wanted to work with outfield players, but I did have a I guess a limited experience working with keepers as well. And I think at the time the club identified that they probably had a great need at that specific time for a goalkeeping coach it was kind of an agreement in some ways of you know okay I'll, I'll come in and do this but this is the direction I want to go in um, so I want to have I want to be able to have access to the outfield players as well um, which is kind of an ongoing discussion that you know was taking place during my time there and you know where opportunities were coming up you know they, I would obviously try and step in and get, have those opportunities so you know that involved at times leading on sessions with some of the younger age groups and supporting the under 18s coach with uh, delivery of those sessions as well um, and obviously, you know, my, my predominant role at the time was obviously leading the goalkeeping program at the club, um, right through from nines through to eighteens. Um, obviously, being a category three academy, they went. Uh, it wasn't mandatory for them to have an under twenty threes program. Although towards the back end of my uh, time there, they I guess introduced some sort of hybrid program where it kind of you know transitioned players from the from the eighteens to the first team. So it wasn't quite an under twenty three squad, but it was a I guess like a, a go between almost like a reserve B team type model um, where they weren't necessarily in the league, but they would play regular friendlies and competitive friendlies that were arranged by the, obviously the staff um, where appropriate. So I guess, you know, for, for me, it was, it was you know, my, my overall kind of goal was to kind of go into the outfield side of things. Um, but, you know, certainly my time, it definitely, I thought I improved massively. You know, I was fortunate enough during my time to finish arranging uh, range my qualifications as well. Um and you know, fortunately, been given the opportunity to kind of go in there because I actually managed to get in, get a role in there before I actually finished my B license. Um, so I was already midway through the course, if I'm not mistaken, at the time. Uh, ended up finishing that maybe a couple months into starting with Barnet, and then from that point onwards, it was yeah, it was just literally one 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 thing after the other. So you know, finished finished my B license, done the youth award, um, and then towards the back end of the time there, I managed to get onto my A license. Um, and even the advanced youth forward, which I, you know, which I ended up finishing um, once I left the club. But um, oh, and of course my goalkeeping B license at the time as well. So you know, I, I often get asked, "Are you a specialist goalkeeping coach?" And it's my thing. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not a specialist. I know. I know about the goalkeeping position. I know. You know, and I, I would consider myself um, quite effective and be able to work with them. Would I consider myself a specialist in them? No, because I consider myself as a football coach with a with a wider range of knowledge. If that makes sense. Mm. How common is it that someone would get the chance to go into an academy as a goalkeeper coach, but also get the chance to work with outfield players? Yeah, I mean, maybe not so much common in, in that respect in terms of goalkeepers and outfield players, but probably it probably isn't uh, too uncommon in the sense that, you know, you probably get a lot of coaches who probably do maybe a, a bit part in recruitment or talent ID as well as a, a coaching role. Um, you know, especially especially with the younger age groups, you tend to see that quite a bit where a lot of the pre-academy staff and things like that tend to be also uh, scouts or you know talent ID staff for the club um, so it's is quite common in that respect you know I think it's so personal and individualised in that respect but generally it's not it's not unheard of um, and I think you know more and more so now there is a lot of coaches who are maybe looking at different ways to kind of get into the system and you know build, build their own journeys and for me well, it helped me get my foot in the door it helped me you know establish some you know some connections and get some uh, the first-hand experience of the environment and what to expect. Um, you're having the opportunity to kind of work as part of that program, and you know, as part of the games program, go and see what other clubs are doing, how other clubs are playing. You know, network and connect with the coaches at the other clubs. 
and even just build on my qualifications as well. So for me, it was a great experience in that respect. But certainly from I guess a general standpoint, it's not too uncommon that you see that. Probably not as common with a goalkeeping slash outfield sort of thing, but certainly in terms of using goalkeeping, uh, I guess the goalkeeping role as a route to kind of to somewhere else. Like you see it done. You've seen a few people maybe going for a goalkeeping coach and got and end up being maybe the lead 16s coach or going as a goalkeeping coach and maybe end up as the under 18s coach. And for anyone that you know that is, I guess, having a look at this and thinking about ways in which they can can break into the system, it, it, it's literally just get your foot in the door and you can the rest you know let your work do your talking for you essentially. You mentioned before that you wouldn't say you're a specialist goalkeeper coach. I'm interested, I suppose, in the idea that you could be a specialist coach in anything and you'd have to say, here's how I can help a team get better at this one thing. What are the areas of the game that you think there's most value in having a specialist coach in? It's a great question. I think it's a very broad one, though, at the same time, because I think it is honestly so tailored and individualised to the environment you're working in. Um, you know, you hear about, you know, if you go back, you know, you're not you're not too far far in age from me. I and mean, when when we were younger, you probably just about maybe hear of striker coaches or goalkeeping coaches. Um, now you know we've got all different types of specialists. You know, we've got, we've got, we've got position specific coaches. You've got your striker coach. You've got your goalkeeping coach. You've got you know in possession coaches now, possession coaches, and now you've got you know you've even got throwing coaches now. I think we're definitely going in the direction where there is going to be more specialist coaches, and it's something that I've been quite vocal about over the last few years, in particular in the way that the game is changing and. The, even the coach education pathway as well, in that because of where the coach education pathway is coming from, so just to kind of paint a bigger picture, obviously, you know, you that you've you know, we've recently done the level two and the journey that you've gone through in your level two is very different to the one I went through on mine. Uh, on my one it was much more around right, tutor you show up, tutor says, right, here's some topics that we're gonna look at. They're gonna show you examples of different sessions and pretty much if if you are given one of those topics, you'd have to pretty much mimic what the tutor did to pass so you know it'd be literally right if they made a stoppage at this particular moment at four minutes 33 seconds they'd be expecting something similar of you and it was almost uh you know they would they were showing you a rehearsal of what they wanted to see and then getting you to step in and take over the position of their coach um and it was literally that simple and it, it was one of them ones where if as the coach you got given a topic that you felt you were confident with fair play crack on you know you'll do you do really well if you got given a topic that you weren't too confident with, then you know you're kind of left to struggle a little bit. Um, but what I, what I did find is we were given a lot more support in terms of the technical information. So I guess from that standpoint, you'd say there's probably and it's an argument to be had and it's a debate to be had. But you know you argue that maybe my generation of coaches coming through that kind of level um, would potentially have a greater level of understanding from the technical standpoint. Um, however where things have shifted now, it's much more about, I guess, yourself as a coach. So it's no longer about what the what the tutor wants to see or what the tutor wants to de- wants to deliver and how the tutor sees it. I mean, to an extent it is because at the end of the day, the tutor's going to assess you in your sessions. Um, but there's no final final topic. There's no final assessment. It's almost, it is an ongoing process, as you know, where because we're not, I guess, as tutors, as forthcoming in terms of delivering that information to you or offloading that technical detail or giving you even exemplar sessions on, on that note, you're probably left a bit more to your own devices to kind of figure out what that information looks like. But I think the beauty of that is it allows you to maybe ask yourself some different types of questions that you might not have asked yourself before um, and maybe be more conscious and deliberate about what you're doing, why you're doing it and where you're looking to as a resource to kind of develop yourself. The specialist element, I think definitely right now, because of the way the pathway has changed, it's definitely a lot more scope and I think a lot more room 
and the likelihood of their becoming more specialist coaches. So if I come back to the qualification, whether I was working with a group of under 10s or a group of under 18s, I was expected to deliver in the same way as so-and-so. Whereas now it's, no, you're going to deliver how you want to deliver. I'm going to have my assessment, my judgment on it and my, and my rationale for why I'm going to assess it in a certain way. However, if you can justify to, to the to the tutor or you can rationalise why you're working in a particular way. So it might be, as an example, if you're, if you've got a session on a Friday night, school the kids have been at school all week and you know you can't really have a stop start session too much because you don't want to go into you know you don't want to break up the session too much because they're probably not going to be too engaged for that they're probably going to just want to play a little bit more and have a bit more of a free flowing session you might have to adjust your coaching style around that um whereas previously it'll be what well, no, you have to coach in a particular you have to demonstrate you can coach if that makes sense um now it's actually there's different ways of doing this and we're going to allow you to express the different ways and show us the different ways of doing it, but being able to justify why you're doing it. And I think that in itself will allow for more freedom of expression from the coaches and different range of coaching styles. And in turn, you can then become more conscious and deliberate about how you coach with your under 10s and so-and-so can be coaching their under 18s in a particular way and so-and-so can be coaching their 15s in a particular way. So I think, you know, in terms of your comment about becoming more specialist I think there's definitely room for it there's definitely I guess the platform now where coaches can develop more specialist skills in different areas of the game whether that be with working with specific age groups or specific positions or a specific format of the game whether that be mini soccer 5v5 7v7 or whatever that might be I think the one thing that is probably up for debate though is has the level of technical information been able to be maintained from what it was previously and and you know, in some cases, the question is also, well, how important is that stuff still? Um, especially when you're now looking at the younger age groups or whichever kind of group you're working with. So less technical information and encouraging coaches to figure out things for themselves increases the likelihood that there will be specialist coaches because someone might be able to spot, oh, I can do this thing in a certain way really, really well. I guess the problem with that is that you would want a technical coach sorry you want a specialist coach to have access and know the most technical information possible to be able to put those players in a position to work really really well at whatever that skill is yeah no 100% I think that the, the challenge you have though is where you know if, if I as a tutor start offloading information to you around the technical aspects the, the difficulty is and the danger we might fall into is creating cookie cutter coaches um, where they kind of just say, well, no, this is the way of doing it and this is it. And there's no kind of, uh, there's no budget around it. Um, whereas, you know, kind of where, where the coach education pathway has gone now is almost shifting and putting the more onus onto the coaches and say, no, actually, well, go and figure out what you need. We can help you with some tools, we can guide you, but go and figure out what you need for the players that you're working with. And if you're doing it for the right reasons, you probably will figure it out um, ultimately. And I think for me, it's a thing where, as a coach, you know, having that technical information is brilliant, but you can only coach it and give that technical information if the players are in need of it at that time. Because, um, you know, you might, if it's all well and good having that information, but if you've got a group of under sevens or under eights who are nowhere near needing that, or if you've got a group of under fifteens that are beginners or whatever whatever the case may be, I can't just say to you, right, here's some information, have it. I need to drip it in at the right time. And I, I, I use the, you know, the concept of, <laughs> I think we talked about this before, you know, are the onions brown yet? You know, you put the onions in the pan and, you know, how do you know when it's ready to add the spice? Well, actually, you've got to make sure you know where the onions are brown, but you need to know what, they are, what the onions looking brown actually looks like in the context of the players first. So where are they they're on their journeys? Where, what does that development pathway look like? And how much do you know about where they're going to go next to it? So how? So if you're working with under 10s as an example, 
how much do you know about the under 10s? Do you know what the under 10 at that stage of the game or that environment? So if it's a grassroots club or if it's an academy or whatever that might be, do you know what an under 10 should be able to do at that sort of stage? And not just do you know what the under 10 does, do you know what the under 9 coming into the 10s should have been able to do or should have been at? And so on and so forth. You know, the 10s going into the 11s, what does the next stage look like? Because if you don't have those either sides in, you know, of the equation, how can you prepare what's in the, you know, in the middle of that? Um, but then that's obviously the greater thing, obviously looking at the individual things within that. So I think definitely coaching has definitely gone you know, in, in the right direction. So it's become more holistic. But I think coaches, you know, certainly there's definitely room for more specialists. And I think it's, it's just questioning where do you want to become a specialist? And I, I think that's probably the, the bigger question, the bigger thing to kind of uh, look at. Mm. If we think about the level one and level two courses, what are the elements of those courses that you think are most effective for getting coaches ready to go out and be be coaches and what are the areas of those courses that you think could be more effective in doing that again this is just an ongoing debate really i mean i think certainly for me they're probably if we look at if we look at the courses and you know the level two in particular the way it's structured it's got three blocks block one and block two are really about looking at the environment, looking at the individual needs of the player and all of that sort of stuff. But you're also expected to deliver, not just on the course, but obviously back in your own environments as well. The biggest learning in terms of the delivery part for me comes in block three. Um, just the way the course has been structured is a lot more technical support. Or tech, you know, that, that element of actually practical delivery, a, a lot of that support for me comes a lot more in block three. So I think, you know, I'd probably challenge that in a little way and say, actually, maybe block three could probably be first. And then as we go along the course and the rest of that journey, we can start to implement some of the newer things that come in. And it gives, I guess, us as tutors and I guess uh, and coaches as learners an opportunity to be able to take what all those bits are, fit it into the practical element and have more opportunities to expose that. Um, so I think that's certainly one of the things I think, yeah, but like I said, generally the courses, I think they've, they've, they've developed massively from, you know, when I, when I did mine and, when I was coming through, the level two was just a, I think, I think it was a four or five day course, um, you know. But at the same time, you know, we had the the youth awards came through. The youth award is, mod, you know, was a set a series of three modules, um, which you'd complete, and then once you complete them, it would probably be, it'd be the equivalent of having a level three qualification. Um, but there was almost these two these two separate pathways to go on down the coach education path, and what we'd find is that you'd have the traditional pathway, which is the core coaching qualifications, and then you have the youth award. And where you do your level one, your level two, your level three, and UEFA B and A and whatnot, you'd have this youth award. And it was almost like, okay, well, on this side, they're telling us to coach one way. On this side, they're telling us to kind of coach another way. Um, and what, what they ended up doing, I think it was around like 2016-ish, where they kind of said, right, we're going to take the best bits from here. We're going to take the best bits from here and just put it all into one. So you ended up getting a, a three-block level two, like the one you've just done. And on there, you'd have essentially the best bits of module one, best bits of module two, and the best bits of the old level two, all amalgamated into one course. Um, so it's, in terms of, I guess, what you get, I think it's a fantastic kind of package, but it's almost the one thing to remember is what every course is different, not in terms of the content that is covered, but in terms of how much depth the con content is, goes into, or we go into the content rather, in that we might have a group of coaches, as an example, that are, they might be, a group of under 15 coaches generally it might be you know 20 24 candidates on the course or 24 learners and if the majority of them are under 15s and the course for those guys might be tailored slightly differently than it is if it's a a bunch of parents that have just slapped you know come onto the course because they want to learn a bit more about how to support their kids if that makes sense 
we'll still cover the same topics. We've still got a, a scheme of work or a, a framework to kind of follow. Um, so I think it, that's probably one of the biggest things I would say in that, you know, what you're getting on the level two is a fantastic qualification as it is. However, you know, I'll come back to the point I made earlier about the, the technical aspect. That's probably the bit that will challenge. And you know, the, the other side of it, I think a lot of coaches come onto the course. And, you know, certainly when I came onto the courses myself, you know, I was going on the course for that sort of thing. Um, and I think a lot of coaches do come on the course for that sort of thing and not ex- it's not to say that they're not going to get value from what they what they end up taking away from it but from my experience a lot of coaches come onto the course they leave the course you know very you know satisfied in terms of the experience they've had however it maybe wasn't the experience they were expecting or hoping for um, not to say that it's been it's been uh, better or worse in any ways you know it's finding the right balance on is how much of that information should be given in terms of the technical tactical knowledge but also I think from a from a coach learner perspective is understanding that actually it's a journey there's no rush and I say this to coaches all the time you know you say yeah I want to go and do my level three I want to go and get onto my my UA for B my UA for A and whatnot my question is why because a lot of coaches you know they want to develop but a lot of them don't have any intention of working in particular environments which is fine but the information and the resources and the, and the materials that you can kind of obtain and I guess build your knowledge on is still out there. You don't need to go for the qualification specifically to get it. So, you know, I often challenge coaches and ask them, well, if you don't actually want to work in that environment, then you probably don't need that qualification. But what you can do is you can work with other coaches who have maybe been on those courses or work with mentors and coaches who have, you know, maybe delivered those courses in the past and try and obtain some of that information in different ways. And it might be through informal discussions like this. It might be, you know, as you know, I've got my own podcast and I use it as literally a tool for me to learn. You know, I've, I've I've been fortunate to have some really experienced and you know knowledgeable coaches. Just generally, not you know initially started with just football coaches, but kind of branched out and have coaches from different industries. I'm talking to as well, and really understanding how maybe some of the things that they do with their players and they do with their athletes kind of can kind of resonate with myself and translate over to the, my environment. So I think it's not just speaking to coaches like as we're doing now, but actually reaching out from different sports and looking at the way they work. There's so many there's so many great coaches, some great work being done out there. It's, I guess, just tapping into that and seeing where we can kind of take it. And I think that's probably where the courses can kind of be further developed and kind of lend themselves to it, the, the learners in terms of gaining more knowledge. It's now collaborating with different sports and pulling away different concepts. But yeah, I'm just a, I'm just a, I'm just a coach in the game, man. <laughs> I think there's such an interesting balance between the specificity of coaching football or like the specificity of being a throwing coach in an 11 v 11 setting with senior players and the transferable skills that you develop as a coach in any sport. And like I could chat to a hockey coach about the way they go about preparing for a match and there could be something in there that they describe that I think that's fantastic. I should do that. I can just take that and tweak it and make it relevant to the players that I work with. 100%. 100%. I mean, it brings back a memory of a course that I went on a couple of years ago. It's the Advanced Youth Award. And on that course, we had a bunch of guest speakers from different industries. And, you know, some people working, coming from, you know, different sports. So some people come from different, uh, I guess, uh, backgrounds. We, had, we, had, uh, we literally had a four-block course. And there was the, I think it might be five blocks even, but we had a block on the physical corner where we basically had a bunch of physical specialists come in and, you know, they might have been strength and conditioning coaches, football-related, or they might have been working from different industries. Um, we had the site corner, and then we had a social corner. Uh, like, there were blocks specifically fo- focused around those elements, and then obviously we had a technical, tactical block as well. And it, it, it was interesting because we started to get different 
industry experts from different sports and different backgrounds and it, it really kind of just challenged you to think about well, actually do you know what in football generally we kind of we kind of kind of stick to what we know um can we branch out a little bit more can we, you know are we asking ourselves different questions are we asking ourselves enough how we how we can get better at what we do and it might be just taking a step out and going and observing a rugby coach or going and observing a basketball coach and seeing how they work because a lot of these things, like you said, it's those transferable skills. And I think you can't underestimate how much information you can get from other different sports and different coaches from those sports and kind of relate it back to your own context. And, you know, recently, you know, they've got this this app Clubhouse and, you know, was on Clubhouse yesterday just having a chat about coach development. And what we need to start doing as coaches, as I was saying to the guys, is that we need to start asking better questions, not just of ourselves, but even those around us become more curious around why we're doing certain things or why they're doing certain things, not just kind of look at someone like, I don't know, like a Klopp or a Pep and say, right, I'm just going to go and do that because Klopp's doing it and I'm going to go and do that because Pep's doing it. Actually start to consider, right, why why is Pep doing it in that way or why is so-and-so doing that way? But more so, it's also looking at people who are working on a similar level to you because you can base your stuff on what Pep's doing, you can base your stuff on what Klopp's doing and whatnot, but it's not relevant to your players directly. So maybe start asking questions, how do you make what they're doing relevant to yours? And if it's not relevant, it's not relevant. It's okay to accept that. What's your earliest memory of coaching football? You know, I was 18 years old and it's quite an interesting experience, to be honest, because um, I got into coaching, you know, long, long story short, I fell into the wrong crowd when I was about 16, 17. Uh, got, got caught up in trouble around, around about 18. And then I said to myself, well, I've got, I've got to do something. I've got to change, I guess, the trajectory of my life and, and sort, sort myself out. Um, I'd always had a passion for football. Um, loved loved the game. I, was, I used to be a mad diehard Man United fan. Don't really, not really that much bothered anymore. But um, used to be a diehard football fan. So I'd always had a passion for football. And I think going growing up, I've always felt I never wanted to kind of be stuck behind a desk or I wanted to be doing something physical and active. And um, I had people around me that were telling me from from sixteen, yeah, maybe go and take your level one and get involved in coaching. Um, you know, I had older cousins that were coaches as well, and. I just went and booked my level one. Uh, and I haven't looked back since, to be honest, Josh. You know, that I'm going back, what, it's 2009 now, I think, coming up. Yes, just, just gone 10 years. And in yeah, 2009, I think, yeah, 2010, I think I took my level one. But I think, yeah, or, or even 2009, 2010, one of the two, I can't remember. But um, yeah, I just remember it. And I got caught into trouble. And I actually, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of funny to be honest. I remember coaching the first session I coached. Uh, so it's a local grassroots team. I just saw an advert on Gumtree or something like that. And they were looking for a coach. Just gave the guy a call. Uh, but my hesitation with it, and I guess my, I guess one of my challenges was finding a team that would take me on because at the time I, I just like I said, fallen into trouble. I was actually on curfew. I had a tag. So I literally had a tag around my, around my ankle and whatnot. Um, and it's I guess finding a club that would be willing to kind of let me work with them and you know, call this number on Gumtree and guys yeah come let's meet up I remember, I remember like it was yesterday to be fair I met up with him in a local McDonald's um sat down with him and you know we just talked we we're just talking football um and he's like okay well this is the situation in the club we've got three teams and I remember rightly also, I think it was an under 14 side and there was three three uh well rather there was two squads but they had excess amount of players so they were thinking right we, we've got enough players here to make a third squad mm-hmm. uh, so essentially you have the A the B and the C team um and the guy said, yeah, come down, have a look, let me know, let us know what you think, and then we'll take you from there. Come down, had a look at what they're doing. I was like, look, I don't know anything about this coaching stuff, but yeah, let me get involved. Um, 
I remember it at night because the first session, I literally, I rocked up, I had some, you know, I had, I had my football gear on, you know, I was in kit and whatnot. Um, but I, I had this tag on my ankle. So people were looking at me, obviously, you know, I, I wasn't afraid to hide it or anything. I think that was probably just probably the biggest challenge initially, just getting involved in coaching and thinking, right, okay, how are they going to perceive me because I've got this on my ankle? And, you know, what I realised soon, it's stepping into that environment and I guess working with the players, looking at the kids, it, it was actually, all of this stuff doesn't matter. It's about the connection you build with these people. Um, and thankfully at the time, I was kind of still kind of relatively close to their age, so I could kind of bring myself down to their level. Um, and I think that's definitely one of the benefits I've kind of I've seen from my journey. Most of the players that I work with, I'm not too far from them in age. Um, a lot of my experiences have been with kind of that 14 to kind of 21 age group. Um, even to now the most recent coaches I've done, you know, I've spent a lot of time working college and university groups. Um, so it's still kind of relatable age for me and for them to kind of you know bridge that bridge that gap of understanding as well. So. I remember coaching there, coaching there, and I was I was mad about coaching, man. I was every, every day I was, you know, I was in between college and going to uni, and actually spent every day just practicing, uh, you know, watching videos, watching, you know, reading books, and um, just yeah, just co everything coaching related, man. Just looking at sessions, looking at what does this person do, what's that person, what's the technical information, what's the technical information there, and um, just really studying the game from a coaching perspective, and that was probably the earliest memory I've got of coaching in that in that sense. Um, like I said, you know, I've done that. I kind of haven't looked back since, you know, within, I guess, maybe 18 months of starting my coaching journey, I kind of went from doing my level one and then I was fortunate because at the time the youth modules had just come out, I think. Um, and, and as did the, I guess, the academy pathway kind of was just starting to form itself as part of the ETPP. So they brought out these youth modules and they'd become, a, I guess, a mandatory requirement for all the academy coaches at the time. So I was quite fortunate. So when I did it, I did my level one. And then within a couple of months of doing it, I was so keen and eager. I ended up doing module one of the youth award, module two of the youth award within like maybe four months of that. And because it was a new course, I found that there was a lot of coaches from maybe academies coming onto the courses. So it was a great opportunity to kind of network with some of them um, and pick on pick on you know their knowledge as well. So that's about maybe the first six months. And after that, I kind of gone from doing the module one, module two, managed to get on my level two. Um, and then that following summer so within like the first maybe 12 months of coaching I've managed to get through my level one module one module two level two and then my level two goalkeeping as well I just went and did it and I thought okay let me try this out and see how it goes so um just because you know what I found is from my experience is that there was a lot of people doing these courses but no one really from my experience understood how to work with a goalkeeper um and more specifically how to utilize the goalkeeper in the session without them just being a body in the goal so I was really keen and uh, you know set on the idea of right I want to get to a point where I can deliver sessions and design sessions in a way where all the players are being affected equally as best as possible anyway um, so I went and did that and you know lo and behold later down the line that ended up getting me an opportunity working in academy football and, and kind of you know getting myself into that environment um, so yeah, you know, kind of roundabout way. That's that was my kind of my first kind of real experiences in, in coaching. I didn't know that. It's interesting, really, really interesting story, interesting journey. I think from the way you're describing it, that period between formal learning, where you've got your own time and you can pursue an interest, and you've got those, I guess, regular sessions. So anything that you go and learn, you can straight away go and put into practice with a group of players. Um, is so so valuable. I suppose to what extent 
does to what extent did your early experiences coaching inform the way that you think about your coaching philosophy now it's interesting because i guess you know if i paint a bit more of a picture of my journey so i, I went into those environments working early on you know first so 18 19 20 about just before i turned 21 maybe for about three solid years i was just coaching 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 um and i think it took us to about 2012 i'm, I'm, I'm going into now now what happened was is obviously i mentioned i've been into trouble in the past i so the FA at the time, 2012, they've got um, they're doing this thing now with coach bursary program for the you know minority and ethnic coaches and female coaches. Now, when that first came out, it originally came out in 2012. There was a three-year program that was run, and what had happened was is in that three years, I well from two from starting out to about 2012, I'd been coaching mad. I've been working grassroots football. I've been doing after-school clubs. I've been doing, uh, you know. Uh, of working with a ladies team in the evenings and on, on a week coaching them I was doing, I was supporting with some men's team and I was working in a, a development centre down at Brentford as well and just doing a range of different things and what I came to find is all these different experiences would just challenge me in different ways but, but you know I hadn't had experience I was ready to now go on to my BA for B I thought I was ready and I've always been someone where people say to you I don't rush don't rush don't rush go through them but for me I felt that I I've always been someone where if I know what the next bar looks like, then I can work towards that. It's not to say I need the qualification now, but if I know what I'm working towards, I can start implementing working towards that. So I was really keen to kind of get onto my B licence within about a year or so after finishing my level two, so probably back in the 2011. FA came out with his coach bursary programme and... It was a three-year program initially, and that was kind of just what it was signed off as. Uh, just to kind of, it was almost like a pilot to see how the, how this sort of initiative would kind of hold up and, and do. And there was plenty of bursaries out there ready for like level twos and just general bursaries, but this was the first of its kind in you know for like a, a black and Asian perspective. So I applied for that, got on it. Now, since starting, I've gone from the, the grassroots club I was working with at the time. I spent a year with them. After that year, those three under 14 groups which I talked about they kind of started branching off and some of the players were leaving those environments um, and then basically what was, what was happening after that was they were left in a position where they probably wouldn't have enough players to keep all the groups together uh, so they one of the coaches decided he was going to he was going to pack it in um, and another one of the coaches was I guess the one who kind of gave me the opportunity we, me and him never really saw eye to eye too well during my time there, unfortunately, never had any personal issues, but I think there was just a bit of a, a bit of a, a resistance. Uh, but you know that things like that happen. So what I find myself doing is at the end of that first year, I then just bumped into a guy that used to coach me on one of the one. I, went, I think I was going to a tournament and I, and I bumped into him, and I ended up going over. Basically, the conversation was, you know, why don't you come over to us? And at the time, I was like, nah, I'm cool where I am sort of thing. And obviously, this is midway through the season. But then towards the back end of the season, I kind of touched base with him again. He said, yeah, look, definitely come over. Um, and I, I think I was very conscious at that time that I didn't want to be in an environment that was going to dictate to me how I should work, um, how how smart or not that was or is, I'm not too sure. But I think it certainly served me well in that it gave me a bit of freedom to kind of work in, particular way and 
you know, I guess what what the transition was is I basically took what I felt was the strongest, but well, I gave the strongest players in the group that I had the opportunity to come over with me. Um, thankfully, you know, that ended up being about six or seven. Some I'll still talk to you today. Um, took them over with me and the new club I was going into, we we're going to recruit some additional ones. And that year I had a fantastic group of players and, you know, that kind of really gave me the push and the motivation. Think, yeah, let me go and do the B license. I'm ready for this sort of thing. Um, and what actually happened was is recently, you know, you might have heard of the Licensed Coaches Club. Um, I know they don't, they're no longer doing it now. Um, I think it ended last year or the end back in the last season due to the pandemic and whatnot. But that Licensed Coaches Club came into play around 2011, 2012 maybe. And what happened was before that came about, um, any DBS checks or CRB checks as they were known then had to be done through the club um, but obviously once a licensed coaches club came out you'd have to do one through them and that will then get almost linked up with your club if that makes sense um, so the club knew my situation in terms of my in terms of my history and my, I guess my background before that but because the club I was part of the club before the licensed coaches club came in um, the licensed coaches club never knew about it, um, or better yet, I didn't need to do a CRB at that point because my my other one was still in date. If that makes sense, so I did my first licensed coaches club CRB at the end of my first year with this new with the new club, and it came back with X Y Z on it. We're going to put a suspension on your on your coaching when you football. I've already dealt with what I've you know I've been through, and I've already had to kind of overcome that, and I've. I've now found a path into football or whatever, you know, a different path of life, basically. So I felt like I was getting punished twice almost. Um, and not knowing, I guess, where that was going to end up. I was, I guess, in some ways, I was quite clever in that. I, I was getting that bursary support from the from the FA for the, for the B license at the time. I actually put it in writing. Right, this is the situation. I, I didn't, I, in, in all fairness, didn't have to declare it to them. I declared it to them because it's a separate department. And they basically said to me, right, well, if that's the case, we don't want to offer you a bursary. And I said, hold on a second, there's no, you've offered me one. I'm, get, I'm getting done over here. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, so I, I managed to get them, you know, long and short of that, managed to get them to commit to kind of give me that bursary once things were eventually sorted out. Um, and when, you know, the first thing was they're going to suspend me. So I, at that time, I was kind of in a bit of a limbo. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go with it? Um, and then off the back of that, it was a decision. Do I continue? Do I appeal it? Do I not? What do I do? Uh, so I had about a year and a half of no coaching. You know, after that year and a half, in that, in that time, I was, you know, I was frustrated, I was angry, I was you know, resentful of the situation. But then I realised, actually, I've missed coaching. I really miss coaching, so I'm going to appeal it. Mid-2013, I kind of I put my appeal in, got it overturned, and you know, the rest is history. And I, you know, within a couple of months of doing that, I started my B licence. Um, but... During that time, I'd also managed to finish, whilst I was suspended, I'd also managed to finish my Module 3 of the Youth Award, uh, which is now, I guess, considered almost as Block 1 of part of the current UFB. So, but what I found was, is when I finally came back into coaching, that year and a half out, I felt like I didn't know anything. So I guess to answer your question, you know, did those early days inform how I work now? Well, no, not really, because I don't even remember what I did back then. Um, and what I also find is that when I now coach, just the way I absorb information changes as well. So whereas before, you know, in my early days, you could have shown me a session plan 
and I would have just visualized it and put it, yeah, I get, I get that how it works. I can't do it anymore. Um, or I'm, I'm not as able to do it as easily as I was back then. So now I find myself, you know, you, you will have experienced it and I say, well, you better off just show me. You show it to me and I'll understand it. You, you try and talk me through it, we might struggle here. But I think that in itself, you know, is, is a question for coaches to maybe consider as well is how do they learn? Are they being open and clear about how they absorb information to make it easier for people around them to supply that in, in a particular way as well? So I guess in terms of my coaching philosophy, to kind of fast forward to that then, you know, over starting back in 2013 really is where I guess the real depth of my coaching journey began. Um, started to look at different, you know, different ways of working because I almost had to kind of re-educate myself on what I had done before and whether it was even the right things to be doing. Um, so I started challenging my staff, I started using maybe some of the ideas I, I remember doing from back in the day, but I didn't at the time really know why I was doing I started challenging that. And as time had gone on, I started working with different coaches, started working in academy football and whatnot and being around different, you know, going on different courses, going on the, you know, the the, the, the B licence, the, the A licence, the Advanced Youth Award, the goalkeeping courses and kind of just really working closely with other coaches, challenging myself, why am I doing this this way? Why am I doing this this way? Why are they doing it in that way? And just really asking myself more questions. I think over the years, what I guess what my coaching philosophy kind of has developed into is this idea of I'm not really interested in coaching the what. I'm more interested in helping players understand the why and developing a self-awareness. So for me, you know, it is about that decision-making piece. Can players make decisions under pressure? Now, I've not worked at the pro level. I've not worked at the elite game, but plenty of the people I've spoken to have and have experience of working with top-level players. And they tell me the differences are is it's not the ability of the player in being able to manipulate the ball or make a, a, you know, a dribble or a pass or however you wish to view it. It's actually the ability to make those decisions under immense pressure, and to what uh, to what level of pressure can they handle. So for me, I guess through those discussions, through my understanding of how, what that what that means to me and how that I guess transformed transfers onto the players is I started to come to this idea that players need to be constantly challenged in their perception of things. Um, you know, I talk a lot about, in my own coaching, I talk a lot about the idea of green light moments and understanding, right, the reasons as to why. So why am I passing it out to the right and not to the left? And sometimes the answers could be obvious, but sometimes they're not. And what's more important for me is not necessarily if you necessarily get the answers right all the time, but are you aware of if there was a breakdown or if there was success as to how and why that occurred? And if if you are now, for me, in my opinion, if you're more conscious and you know about those variables and considerate of those variables in the build-up or the process of whatever you're doing, in my opinion, you're more likely to have some success, certainly long-term anyway. And I think that kind of informs the way I work in that a lot of my sessions, in fact, all of my sessions, unless I'm literally doing a one-to-one -one session, they are opposed. Um, that's not to say that unopposed work doesn't have a place, but in my opinion, it's not the most efficient use of time. And certainly, you know, I'll, be, I'll even challenge the unopposed element. If you're going to do unopposed work, in my opinion, you could still add game context to it. You can still add game context. So I give you an example. If Josh, if I say to you, right, Josh, here's a ball. I want you to play against that wall um, because we've got no other players. It's just, it's just me and you're not. Like, All I'm interested in observing. I don't want to be part of the session. I'm just going to observe. Now, the way in which you pass that ball to the wall 
if that's just your instruction, as opposed to if I say, right, Josh, I want you to play that ball to the wall, but as you receive it, I want you to receive it in a way where you're trying to shield your left your left hand side because that's where the player's coming from. As opposed to just receive it and play it back again. Your whole mechanics of what you're doing is going to change. And if it doesn't, then I'm I'm saying, well, why is it not? This there has to be a change because the context is different. So I think in terms of unopposed work, it can still you can still give game context. And I think a lot of coaches, in my opinion, don't do that. They just do unopposed work and say, hey, we're going to work technical, technical, technical. That's great, but there's only so much technical you're going to do and there's only so much benefit it's going to have if you don't have game context. Because what you need to start thinking about is, right, how do we now put this into this? So how do we relate the context of your practice to the context of the game? And you have to have the context of the game in your practice to be able to do that, in my opinion. In terms of playing philosophy, I don't really have one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I don't think there's a need for one. I think if you coach the principles of the game, they're there. No matter what coach you're working with, no matter what game format you're working in, no matter what country you're working in, they're there. The end goal is to score. The end goal is to progress the ball up the field. How you do that is obviously where the style of play comes into it. But for me, I, I'm all about coaches uh, coaching the players to, un- to help them develop and understand of when to do what and why they're doing what in a certain time. So if it is on to go long, I could be coaching Barcelona and their way of play might be building up in the back and all of this stuff. But if it's on, Barcelona are going long. They ain't going to waste time. Man City are going long. They ain't going to waste time. Whoever it is, Arsenal are going long. They're not going to waste time. It's on. Go for it. But if we need to build up because the team is sitting deep and whatnot, then let's build up and tease people out, people out of shape so we can find those gaps and exploit those spaces. Um, so I guess in terms of playing style, I don't really have a playing style that I think I'm fixed on. Um, I kind of leave that up to my players a little bit, but kind of just support them and, and challenge them in their understanding as to why they're doing what they're doing. Um, so I guess, you know, a question I often get asked is what type of coach are you? I say, well, if I was to describe myself as a coach, I'd consider myself as a coach of the why, as opposed to coach of the world. I really like that. I suppose what you're saying then is that you think the most effective use of your time is to create or take scenarios that arise in games, put sessions on that allow players to make decisions that they're going to make in games, in practice, under pressure. The design part of that, a lot of that comes down to your position. So as an example, mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm working with, I don't know, Grassroots FC and we know that we're playing against, you know, Sunday League, Sunday League United. Sunday League United are known for playing out from the back. Well, actually, all right, fine. In the practice, in the build-up to that session, build-up to that game, my session is going to be designed in a way where those players that in training are building up from the back. And that's what we're training against, if that makes sense. That's basically, you know, what I would be doing right now. If, if in you know, if in three weeks time, and it could be a, it could be the same session in the sense that right we can still be working on playing out from the back. But if I know right this week we're playing out from the back against a team that doesn't really like to press us when we're, when we're mm-hmm. coming out, then my session should reflect that because that's what I'm preparing for. Um, sure. And I think you know coaches have to be very deliberate and intentional about when they're designing those sessions. Well, because what will end up happening is, and I see it so many times, and not just at grassroots, even in academy academy football, where a coach will go. To a play, the players will, will the coach will work with something on the players, or work on something with the players rather. The players are then not able to maybe transfer that and translate that onto the pitch in the game context. And you hear this, oh, you know, why, why have you not got it? Because we worked on this in training, but actually, did you work on it in the way that it's been presented? So if you did work on playing out from the back and they're struggling with playing out from the back, the playing out the back work that you did in training was that repli- replicating what it was in the game. So as an example, if we know. Right, we're playing against Jurgen Klopp's Jurgen Klopp's dad. 
they're going to press the hell out of us. Is that what the training environment looked like? Is it? If it's not, how can you expect the players to kind of deal with that? And no one's saying it has to be exactly as that because you might not be able to perform to that same extent. But it's got to be as close to that as possible. So if it is playing out from the back, and you know we've had this conversation you know in the past as well, it's not just playing out from the back. It's playing out from the back with more context, and the more context is playing out from the back against the high press, and then you might break it down further. It might be against a four-three-three, and then it might be against a four-three-three, but it could be playing out from the back to, to the right back against a four-three-three on a high press, and the more in depth you can go with that the more, I guess, context you can provide. And yes, the argument could be, well, actually, that's going too detailed and you might not get as much uh, context in, on the overall picture. You're right, but if I know that this is what the team is likely to set up like, then why am I not going to just prepare for that? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the challenge is that grassroots football is very different. You've probably got less, less, less uh, knowledge or advanced knowledge around what the opposition might be doing, which is why it's even more important to give different scenarios you might not have the specifics, but if you can provide a general wider context around, right, we're going to do playing out from the back, but we're going to work on what it looks like with a high press, what it looks like with a low press, and, and give the different variations to this so you can start to help the players come up with different ways of working to kind of deal with that, if that makes sense. Presenting enough opportunities for the players to face different uh, scenarios, um, but be more deliberate and intentional about the scenarios that you might come up with. So I guess the challenge for coaches then is, be again intentional, deliberate, and be more curious. What are the scenarios that could occur based on what you know about the opposition? In grassroots football, obviously, you're not going to get that exposure, but in academy football, you genuinely have an idea of how teams are going to play. Across the board, in academy football, a lot of the teams play very similarly. There's not too much differences in how they play um, until they start getting to maybe the, you know, the under 23s. And in, in, in some cases, the under 18s are a bit predictable in terms of what you can expect from a team. So I guess in terms of preparation, it's quite easy or it's easier in the academy academy setting to be able to do that. Um, you know, whether rightly or wrongly, a lot of the academy football platform play very similarly in that they want to play out from the third, they want to keep the ball on the floor and all this sort of stuff. You know, and I was having this conversation again yesterday with a group of coaches and saying that is the is academy football really preparing players to play football or is it preparing players to play at a certain level of the game? And this is where, you know, I guess the old uh, the old debate comes around about reserve team football and how well it prepares players for the first team game. Because it is that because they haven't got a reserve team element anymore or the under-23s isn't seen as competitive, there's more there's more onus on players having to then go out on loan to get some of these different experiences, whether that be, you know, on loan to a team that plays midweek evening so you can get experience with that, whether that be on loan to teams that play, um, you know, on, on pitches that aren't as great so they can get that experience or whatever that experience was. I guess in terms of preparing for that, it becomes, I think it's slightly easier in academy football than it is anywhere else. Um, obviously outside of the first team and senior environment. That's interesting because that's kind of goes, goes against, I suppose, a little bit about what Josh said when he was on, when he had a conversation about kind of game planning and how you get ready for a specific position. He said, well, they don't really do that as much. It's much more about our syllabus and we need to work through defending in a low block, even if we're not necessarily going to be in a situation where we are going to defend in a low block for the upcoming game. I think the other thing you'll consider is obviously in academy football, you're not developing teams, you're developing individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if your team goes on to do well, fantastic, great. But that's not the end goal. 
Um, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of coaches out there, a lot of clubs out there that, that are more obsessed with that aspect of it and then actually developing the player. Um, you know, Chris Ramsey is one, one of the coaches I think is, is, is really good at this and he's really quite headstrong. He, he doesn't care about the results. It's not the results that you get at youth football that's going to produce the players. It's how much those players develop at the end of, at the end of that cycle or at the end of that, that pathway of you know, youth development. That's going to dictate how successful you are. Um, you don't get paid. He doesn't get paid on you know, winning games. He gets paid on how many players come through that academy, and then go on to make first go on to make first team first team appearance or get sold on to another club. And I think that's the thing that a lot of coaches kind of miss sometimes. It's you have to think about it's the individual, it's not the group, it's not the team, it's not the unit. It's the team consistent of units and consistent of individuals. So how many of these individuals can you help develop? So I think from that perspective, if you're now looking at, right, how do we counter this? How do we counter that? How do we prepare for this team? And I think all that stuff is great in terms of developing the players. And I think it is good, but I think you can't can't rest your, you can't base your whole your whole sessions on it and your whole your, your whole syllabus. So I think the syllabus probably does take and does, you know, is is top trump in that, in that respect in terms of priority because it's the syllabus we designed around the individual needs of the players, hopefully. Um, but more specifically around the needs of the environment. So if you've got a group of players that need X, Y, Z, that, that's probably going to take precedent over anything else. Um, and if, if you feel like those players are performing at where they need to be performing, then you might start drifting some of these things and consider building a more team-based unit or a team-based programme. Um, but in whole, a lot of the work that gets done in these sorts of environments generally, and I think you know even more so now at grassroots, it's, it's developing and we come back to the conversation where to start about specialist coaches and the way the way coaching is going now is that a lot of these coaches and these environments are definitely gearing and shifting more towards um, slowly but surely a more individualized tailored program for each player within the greater the, the, I guess the bigger syllabus if that makes sense yeah individual outcomes and maybe you know, personal development plans alongside everything else that happens in the club yeah I mean I'm not against the results doesn't matter this is about the development of the players. I think that's quite a quite a decent model for us. Well, you know, I'm coaching in a grassroots context where 100% is about a lot more than the results. It's about are the players developing. I think I, I, even now I have conversations with players and uh, sorry, conversations with coaches who coach younger players, and they're you know they might be bragging about oh yeah, my under nines team we won 11 nil. And all that makes me think is like, well, I feel bad for the nine-year-old who lost 11-0. And I wonder how much a nine-year-old who was a part of a winning team that won really, really heavily, but maybe didn't directly contribute, like how much did they actually get out of it? What was in that experience for them other than just being able to say we've won 11-0? Um, and I suppose that kind of brings me on to the, the question of, going to ask next about environments which is like you're really big on the environment that you're coaching in should if possible be aligned with your values as a coach and I wonder what have been some of the differences in those environments that you've coached in and if there's ever been a time that you've had to kind of sacrifice or maybe leave at the door some of the things that you value and that you think are as important as a coach. I think you know I've been fortunate in the sense that um, I haven't had I haven't necessarily had to deal with that element. I think there's definitely been uh, moments where there's been some resistance to some of the things I wanted to do and I guess the way I wanted to work. However, I think it's about timing. I think uh, you know if you 
it's one of them ones as, as a coach if you if you kind of can show you know what you're talking about a little bit or you know what you're doing then you get given a bit more uh, freedom to work with um so i think that's probably key and i think you know that comes from having confidence that comes from i guess actually doing 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 the groundwork knowing your stuff re- reading up on stuff you know working putting putting your hours in on the grass you know I, I i talk about it all the time i say you know one of my biggest learning curves in my coaching journey was between like 2000 and I want to say 16 and 17. For like a year, I was working across four different environments, but I was probably doing about 25 to 30 hours a week on the grass. I was actually on the, I was actually coaching, doing sessions for 25 to 30 hours a week. And that's not including planning, that's not including matches, that's actually doing training sessions across four different environments. And it gave me constant opportunities to kind of reflect and look at what am I doing? Is this working? Why is it working? What am I going to change differently? How would I d- adapt this session with this group to this group and so on and so forth? So I think it is about doing the groundwork to start with. I guess in an academy environment, what one of the biggest challenges you have, and this is probably where I'd urge coaches to be more considerate about what is important to them. Because um, so many coaches, in my opinion, do compromise their, their values and their beliefs just to kind of get their foot in the door somewhere. And it's not to say that that's not the, that's right or wrong. Um, but how long is that gonna last? You go somewhere knowing that it's not what you what you're looking for, and it's not necessarily the job role. Sometimes it's the environment itself. You know, I can understand going into an environment, and I guess it might not be the role that you want you want to end up with. When is it ever? How often is it the actual role that you want to end up with? You know, you you go in there, get your foot in the door, you want to start. You want to get you want to get you want to get to learn the environment, get to know the people in there, and, and build your way up. But if you go in somewhere that's going to compromise how you work or what you find to be true to you, then I think that's going to be a that's, that, you know that, that that that's not a healthy environment at all for you to be in because you're always going to find yourself feeling like there's something missing or feeling resistant or feeling pressure because and, and, you know as a coach I think we do it because we love the game and we've got a passion for it but I think if you, as soon as you put into an environment that doesn't allow you to have a bit of autonomy and have a bit of freedom around the way you work, if the environment isn't allowing us to feel that because they're not allowing us to bring any of our own character and personality to that, then I don't see how that can be a healthy environment for anyone. Uh, so I think on that note, you know, for coaches, and I say to coaches, even at grassroots, I understand, you know, more so at grassroots, especially if you're a volunteer, as an example, why would you want to work in an environment that's not right for you? Mm. Go somewhere else. If yeah. that's, if you actually want to be involved as a coach, go, to, you know, you know but yeah, but this, these people pay me £10 an hour. Well, What's more important to you? This pound an hour, this 15, 20 pound an hour that you're making now at this grassroots club, or your development, or your, you know, I guess in, in, in basic terms, your job satisfaction. What's more important to you? Now, for me, I, I understand there's going to be things as, as, as people, as coaches, and just, just generally in life, you're going to have to deal with things that you don't really want to deal with. They're going to make you uncomfortable. They're going to put you under pressure. They're going to stretch you and challenge you in different ways. But that's part of the parcel. That's not the issue. The issue is if you're in an environment that's doing that for you, that has no intention of allowing you to flourish in the way that, in the, or in the direction that you want to flourish in, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And in some cases, they just don't see your value, which is which is fair enough. But then go somewhere where you fit, where you, where you where you're made to feel valued, mm-hmm. because I think that in itself will allow you to become more passionate and creative. So even if in a situation where you do work in a particular way. And the club or the organisation that you're working, it doesn't work in that way. If you feel valued, you're more likely to conform. 
or more likely to buy into their ideas because actually there's a bit of a they, they appreciate what you do bring to the environment um but at the end of the day we don't run the clubs the, co- the coaches the coaches are just part of the part of the bigger piece of the puzzle do you know what i mean so i guess from that perspective it's finding the right environment is, is key if for me uh, you know certainly as a coach you need to be in an environment you're going to flourish in but on that note just the last thing on that note is you don't want to be the smartest one in the room they say that all the time you know, all, all successful coaches you've got to be around coach. you've got to be a sponge be a fly on the wall but you, you got to be a fly on the wall for people that are more are more knowledgeable than you um, if you're the one always you know like I part with that knowledge or their experience and your, your expertise then that's great because you've got the experience but then how, who's giving that information or where you get that information for you for yourself so if it's not in the environment you're working in you need to be supplementing and compensating for that elsewhere you said you when you took a year and a half out of coaching you really missed coaching what did you miss? I think it was just the adrenaline just being involved in players and just you know just it was just like I said I was football mad at that, at that point and I was really just it was the first time where I thought you know what I've got a passion I didn't I probably didn't realise it when I first started coaching but certainly when it was almost taken away from me to an extent I thought, actually, no, I missed that. I really enjoyed doing that. And I've never enjoyed doing something the way I enjoyed doing that. Um, and that was kind of the drive to kind of put me back into it and just say, you know, I'm going to go I'm gonna go back into it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it work. You've been my tutor for nearly a few years now. And you're the first coach I've been around who has so regularly and explicitly stressed the importance of specificity in a task and an exercise and an explanation when did you start being so big on specificity and why did that become such a big thing for you yeah no good question um and it kind of i guess in some ways comes back to your previous question about how my journeys inform me so um in my in my coaching philosophy i think one of the things it has done and I, I, now that i think back about it there probably was some influence from the early, the early years or early parts of my journey as a coach to the way I work now. In that, when I did my goalkeeping level two, uh, I don't know what it looks like now, um, but at that time, I thought that course was brilliant in terms of preparing me to go onto the B license. Um, the way in which it was delivered, there were certain practice designs or templates or I guess structures um, that would linked closely into what was expected on the B license. But one of the biggest things I took away from it is how technical and how uh, minute the detail goes into on the, on the goalkeeping aspect. And then from that point onwards, I guess, you know, this is probably one thing that did stick with me from those initial couple of years of coaching, even after the break, that if the goalkeepers are being worked with to this minute detail, why, why is that not the case with the outfield players? And Ever since then, I've kind of just become obsessed with the, with, the, with the smaller details and being specific about everything. Right. What do we mean by this? What do we mean by that? Why are we asking to do it in this way? You know, what what's the benefit of that? What's the benefit of this? And I guess having just becoming more curious has generally, I guess, pushed me into becoming that, as you put it there, being specific and having specificity about everything and being very clear and concise around it. Football's a simple game. We can keep it simple by just making it black and white. We don't have, We don't need the grey areas. Why, why go into the grey areas but we don't need them um, obviously there's subjectivity there's opinions there's you know there's, there's, there's debates around different things but I think what when we have confidence in something we should really push that and I think that's where the black and white bit comes into it in right be clear with what you want 
And I say this to coaches all the time and I challenge coaches, right, whose responsibility is it to ensure that a message is understood? Is it the person delivering the message or the person receiving it? For me, it's got to be the coach or the person de- delivering the message in, in the context. Because the person receiving it, if I'm, if I'm honest, they don't care about the message until they understand what the message actually is and how important that message is to them. But they'll only understand that if you're clear and specific what that information is. Um, and it's no different as a coach, as a, as, as a, you know, whether I'm working on support staff or whatever that is. So when I'm saying to players and coaches and I'm working with them, I say, I want you to be specific, like I've said to you many times, what are you trying to achieve here? And if you can't answer that question, then it shows to me you're not even clear. Never mind you can communicate a message to someone else. You're not even clear on what you're looking for. So how can you then expect someone else to be clear on what you want from them? Um, so that's kind of where that comes from, really. And it's, it's again, kind of stemming back into, like I said, the goalkeeping level two when I did it back then. It was, the detail was so specific. Was it right? Was it wrong? I don't know. But it definitely informed the way in which I looked at things. Um, and, and I guess the way I started challenging myself as a coach going forward from that point. And obviously after the break and really, like I said, when I first came back, I really tried to kind of remember and pull on some of the things that maybe I used to work with or how I used to work in the past. And that was probably one of the standout things that did stick with me. The fact that you can pinpoint a moment or pinpoint a course in this case um, is so, so valuable. There's so many times where the way that anyone might talk about the way they've developed would be, oh, I took a bit from here, a bit from there, and it's kind of an amalgamation of things that they've learned over a number of years. Whereas that is, is fantastic that you can say, this course helped me think like this. Um, you've said to me before that you don't, particularly want to be a manager you want to be a coach and design practices given what you've also said about creating situations to put players under pressure what would you say is your ideal coaching role what does that look like for you I think as time's gone on I mean, I've always had a passion for coach uh, development um hence why I've kind of gone down a coach education pathway a little bit I think an ideal role for me would be something something similar to what maybe a head of coaching does in an academy where but in, in a way where I could still be on the grass with players. Um, so, you know, not something traditionally what happens with head of coaching, you kind of just oversee the development of coaches and you just you don't, you don't really get time on the grass. Um, there's some academies out there, and so some clubs out there do have a slightly different model where the head of coaching does do that, um, but they also get time on the grass with certain groups. And some academies, especially at the bigger ones, the, the ones that can afford it, they tend to have maybe two heads of coaching or a head of coaching and an assistant head of coaching where the assistant might be responsible for a set number of age groups and then head of coaching themselves might be set, responsible for a set number of age groups which kind of, I guess, frees their week up a little bit and allows them to be on the grass. So I think that would probably be more the ideal environment in terms of youth football. Um, as you said, you know, I'm, I've not really got a massive passion right now or, or ambition to be working as a manager per se. Um, but I do certainly like working with coaches and working with players on the grass and I'm more I'm more enthused about that than anything else. Um you know, just, just designing practices, you know, I, I, I'm fascinated by how, how the game is and, you know, how we can get to a point where we create more specific and game-related practices, you know, and I, I think I mentioned it to you a few, a few times, I don't use a lot of different types of practices. I've only got a set number of templates which I kind of follow and it's just utilising my knowledge and my experience of the game um, and assessing the observations of the needs of the players around, right, what, what adaptation do I need to make to this? Um I've certainly got or picked up on, a, I guess, a few key things that I, I kind of factor into all my sessions um, and use them as almost like a framework to work from and then build out from, just from experience, you know, it, and it might be, 
initially I thought it was an age thing because I, I, I work with a lot, of, a lot of players were kind of 14 to 21. So I thought it was an age thing that these were some of the key factors or variables within my sessions that people really enjoy. But as time's gone on, I've noticed it's not just an age thing. It's just a, it's just generally as players. I delivered a session a few weeks back. Um, so one of the things I do now, um, as you'll know, is I kind of support some grassroots coaches in their own environments outside of qualifications and under my own brand. Um, so under the Coaches Network brand and basically delivered a session there and it was almost, well, even at that, at that stage when I'm working with, I think it was under 10s at the time, under 11s and I'm looking at one of the coaches that kind of, I was almost coming like to do like a guest session kind of thing and the coaches said, well, you know, there's 10 minutes to go, are we going to go into a game? Uh, and I looked at him and I said, what do you think? Have a look at the players and you tell me if they need a game or not. And for me, why do players want to play a game? Well, because it's fun, it's competitive, and it's engaging. Right. So why don't we get to a point where the players don't feel like they need to play in a game just for the sake of playing in a game? I'm not saying don't do games. I'm just saying, yes, include games if they're necessary, but make sure they're, make sure they're relevant and appropriate. What I mean by that is, if I'm going to do a practice or decide between doing a practice or putting a practice on and putting a game on, have I actually assessed and observed which one's going to give me a bigger return? And for what reasons? So in this situation, I understand why players want to play a game. They want to play a game for those three reasons. I said, you know, they want to be competitive, they want to have fun and they want to be engaged. And if my practice is doing that for them, I can keep it on that. So I had no problems not having the game at the end of the session, which would probably be quite traditional. Um, to the point where they finished it, no one can play. No one actually asked for a game. And I often find that if players are asking, when are we going to play a game? It's because they haven't enjoyed the session. They're too busy enjoying the session. So they actually forget to ask about the game because it's not important to them. All the important part is, is are we having fun? Are we engaged? And is it competitive? And those three things, I think, are the most important things. You know, if there's anything that kind of I could I could say to coaches, is that's the key part. And you know, part of your coaching philosophy should be around designing a program with putting on sessions that the players are engaged in and that they are finding competitive. And you don't need to kind of go down the traditional. Sometimes it doesn't have to look the same way as every other coach. It can be whatever you think is necessary for your players. That's wicked. Yes, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And. Uh... Yeah, just uh, it's been an, it's been really interesting to to hear you talk and really engaging and insightful. And I think I just have no doubts that I'm a I'm a better coach for having met you and having been a learner on your courses. So all I can say is is a big thank you. Now, well, look, it's been to have you, man.